You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Sarah. Hey, it's Amanda. And today we are talking about uh, the case of Wendy Eaton. Wendy was a 10th grader from Pencrest High School in Media, Pennsylvania. She had brown hair, brown eyes, wore gold-rimmed glasses, had braces, and went by the name Wizzy to all of her camp friends. Wendy enjoyed Girl Scouts, camping, and church activities. She played piano, guitar, and spent time singing in her church group. She turned 16 soon and had just picked up her driver's permit that Saturday. On the morning of May 17, 1975, Wendy's family headed out to the local country club to spend the day playing golf. Wendy decided to stay behind to lay out in the sun since the weather was so nice that day. When I say Wendy wanted to lay out in the sun, I mean that she would climb out of her bedroom window and lay on the roof of her house. That way she could actually get some sun since it was so shaded in her backyard. Her house was located on Moccasin Trail in Media, Pennsylvania, and for those not familiar, Media is a suburb of Philadelphia, about 12 miles from Center City, and had approximately 6,000 residents in the 1970s. According to Google Maps, Moccasin Trail is a short, wooded road that leads to a cul-de-sac. Now, I'm, that's what the area looks like today. I'm not quite sure what it looked like in the 1970s, but I looked at the average age of the houses in that area to get a feel for what it might have looked like during that period, and the houses on Moccasin Trail were all built in the 60s and had over 2,000 square feet. So it was a nice, it seemed like it was a nice area and a nice section of Media, Pennsylvania. Currently, there is a private school located not far from Wendy's home that was built in 1992. Wendy's family got home around 5.30 that evening and called out for her, but there was no answer. Her mom walked upstairs, and as she turned the corner into her bedroom, she saw her bathing suit lying on her bed, but no Wendy. Her mom looks out the window to her favorite spot to tan, and still nothing. She hurried downstairs to check again, and still no sign of her. There wasn't even a note indicating where she might have gone. Wendy's father said he immediately felt, quote, something was wrong. Panicked, her parents spent over two hours searching for her before they finally contacted the police to file a missing person report. But it wasn't exactly how they expected the phone call to go. Authorities told them that she was probably just a runaway and would show up, period. They didn't even take any information from them. I feel like hindsight on this is just 2020. I mean, you look back, if it had happened today, this would have been all over Facebook in just a couple clicks and shares, and it would have been across the state and across the country. Yeah, seriously. Um, do we have an approximate time that our parents called the police? So I actually got to interview a family member of Wendy's when we started kind of talking about this case. Um, from this family member, it sounded like they first called the police around 7.30 p.m. that night because it was about two hours after they got home. Um, and then, like Amanda said, the police just thought that she ran away and that she would come back. But the family insisted it wasn't true. And they had to call a couple times to get it taken seriously. And I think we have a little more detail on that coming up. But yeah, about 7.30 is when her parents called the police. 
So Wendy's family continued to search for her. They spoke to neighbors and friends and anyone that would stop to talk to them in hopes of finding her. According to a friend, another reason Wendy may have stayed home that day so she could walk to the store and get her brother a birthday gift, which to me sounds pretty reasonable. However, the family we spoke to said that the town was a few miles from their home and that she had never walked to town before, not with friends, not with family, and certainly she would have never walked it alone. Up all night long and desperate to find clues, Wendy's mother started cleaning her bedroom in hopes that there would be an indication of where she went. I feel like this is some kind of normal reaction. I mean, subconsciously, when you hear that you have a visitor coming over, you kind of want to tidy things up, which her mom did and even emptied the trash in her room. So I can't fault her for doing that. However, I don't think she realized that it might have hindered the investigation. And I think it's just not something that you even think about in the moment. I can't imagine sitting around and doing nothing, but there's also only so much you can do. So if she could clean in hopes of finding something, then absolutely she would be doing that to be up and moving and doing something rather than just sitting and waiting. Um, and I know the family member I talked to did mention that there, the mom really was kicking herself later saying I shouldn't have emptied that trash I should have gone through the trash can you know those those sorts of things so it definitely stuck with them but in the moment I totally can't you know put any sort of blame on the mom I would be doing the same thing in my house I mean she took out the trash but like did the trash people actually come the next day you know I mean I feel like she shouldn't beat herself up too bad because just go get it out of the trash is that me not thinking? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, because when I talked to the family member, they didn't say anything about that. Um, so maybe it was like the trash went out that night and got picked up the next morning or something like that, that they really couldn't get that bag back out. Um, but like I said, I'm not totally sure. This episode of Keystone Cold Cases is sponsored in part by Coco Counseling Center in Hershey, PA, two blocks off of Chocolate Ave. Coco Counseling Center is a Christ-based counseling center specializing in therapy for individuals, couples, and families. Mental health is important to us here at KCC, and great therapists are the first step in seeking treatment for mental health. Coco Counseling Center provides just that. Highly qualified therapists who are real people and who have experienced the real world. For more information about appointments, insurance coverage, and areas of expertise, check out CocoCounselingCenter.com. That's C-O-C-O-A CounselingCenter.com or call 717-298-1366. By the next morning, despite all their efforts, Wendy's family was no closer to finding her. So they called the police again, and this time they actually listened. When they arrived, Arrived to the home, the parents laid out what they thought the chain of events were leading to her disappearance. According to a neighbor, Wendy was last seen at 3 p.m. the day before walking towards the intersection of Indian Lane and Media Station Road. When the same neighbor came back through just 17 minutes later, Wendy was gone. A classmate came forward and said that she saw her standing at the intersection that I just mentioned, Indian Lane and Media Station Road, sometime after 3.15. Another witness came forward and said that they heard a car door shut around that exact same time, so again, 3.15-ish. He thought his wife was home, and when he looked out the window, just in time, he saw a blue car driving off, but it wasn't his wife. 
So we're talking about potentially a two minute window of time, which is to me is like a super small time frame to disappear along what seems to be a well-traveled road and for no one to see it. Police brought in bloodhounds to track Wendy and luckily they picked up her scent. They followed it down the street, hoping and praying they would be able to find Wendy. As they approached the intersection that Wendy was last seen and the blue car was last seen, the scent trail vanished. No signs of a struggle and no one heard her scream. So where did she go? Now, do you think that it was possibly hitchhiking gone wrong? So when I talked to this family member, uh, she did say that according to friends and family, they think she would have had to know a person to get in the car with them. But also on the flip side, that she was a very trusting and naive person. So they can't completely rule it out. But they also think that it would have had to be someone that they knew. Um, And I did ask then, like, well, did you guys know anyone with a blue car? And she said they went through their minds so many times trying to think of anybody they would know with the car the way that it was described and there was no one that they knew that they could come up with that matched that description so um it's possible the family thinks it's not super likely but there is also that you know little bit of possibility in there okay i know sometimes Um, strangers will, you know, get a hold of a police badge or, you know, impersonate a police officer, firefighter, someone that you would automatically trust. Um, so Mm -hmm. maybe it's possible that even though she didn't know them, maybe it was someone that was either posing as someone with authority or actually was maybe. That's true. That's true. And I know that um, Sarah had asked about like her romantic relationships. And I believe she said that she didn't have time for relationships because she was in scouts. And so there's no boyfriend or anything to question. Yeah, she was in scouts. They were involved with their church and Wendy was involved with the singing group in their church. And apparently they would go When I read about there being a singing group, I assumed it was just like a church choir thing, but it was actually something that they would go out and go different places and sing. And that really took up a lot of her time. So yeah, she never really had at least nothing that was major enough to be known to the family. She wasn't romantically involved. She was just too busy. So of course the authorities still had the idea that Wendy could have just run away. But like Sarah just said, the family felt that that was unlikely that she would do that since she planned to attend the singing group rehearsal at the church that evening. And a back, a little bit of background on that is that they would usually practice at someone's house and then eat dinner and hang out. All of them were respected and trustworthy people, and it was always pretty close to the house. She typically didn't miss rehearsals, so it was really out of character her for her not to show up. However, Wendy was supposedly upset that she was unable to attend a religious camp in Colorado for a summer excursion. Apparently, two of her friends were attending the camp without her, and she had mentioned that she was upset to her friends. So could she have run away to Colorado? So this is something that I also talked about with this family member, and I guess it's a a fairly common theory that gets thrown out. 
And there are reports that say she was really upset and she wasn't allowed to go because of money. However, when I talked to the family member, this family member said that Wendy was really big into Girl Scouts. She went to summer camp for Girl Scouts every year. Plus, the family usually spent three or four weeks of their summer in Maine up um, in their hometown where they were from. She had a lot of things that she would be doing all summer long. She also had two siblings that were in college at the time. So it could just be a mixture of all of her activities, having siblings that needed things too. But, you know, this this family member said they really don't think Wendy was that upset about not going. And she definitely would have at least told the friends, especially the friends she was complaining to about it, if she did plan on going somewhere. She'd let them know that she was going to show up, basically. So there is a train station in Media PA that was pretty close to where Wendy disappeared. The station is named Media Elwine, and it's part of the PA Railroad's Westchester branch, and it changed hands a few times. Now it's known as the SEPTA. I know I've personally taken the SEPTA to get to the airport from the Amtrak station, so there's definitely the possibility that she could get to other mass transit and get out of the area. The family said that she was a smart girl, but she wasn't very street smart, if you know what I mean. And she would have to go to get to she would have to go from Media Station Road across a creek and then eventually she would get to this train station, which is not something that her family believed that she'd be able to do. Um, so her sister picked Wendy up from a church retreat the week prior and she seemed fine. She also said that it would be very out of character for Wendy to just leave because of her Christian beliefs were so strong and that she was afraid that it would hurt people, um, if she left. However, police were still kind of riding on the theory that she was a runaway. So they checked all of the septic cameras and bus stations from that Sunday and they didn't find anything. They even had local police check the camp in Colorado, but they found no evidence that she was there. A day after Wendy went missing, an employee from a runaway hotline service in Chicago reported that they have gotten a call from a girl who said that she was 15 from Media PA, and police were never able to confirm that it was a real lead. Do you think it was possibly that they were trying to pull the attention away from the local area? I don't believe so. Um, the family kind of went into more detail. I'll let Sarah kind of explain that. Okay, so I... I kind of had to clarify with this family member a couple times. And what I'm understanding is the call came through and they told her to go to North Philly. Um, and from my understanding, the Wendy or whoever was calling had called and said that she had run away. And the person on the other end of the phone said, can you get to North Philly? Like she was lost. She was trying to to get where she needed to be, I guess. Um, and the response on the phone was, oh, yeah, I could very easily get to North Philly from where I am, which is confusing. If you're lost, how are you going to know to get to North Philly? Um, but also the family said there's no way that she would have known how to do that. Um, so it really didn't make sense to them. And kind of the the good part of this fake call was that the family never really believed it was wendy so there wasn't really too much of oh my gosh she's here she's gonna come home we're in touch with her from the very first time that it was told to the family they were like no that 
that doesn't sound like Wendy at all. Like that doesn't make sense at all. So um, I'm still a little bit confused, but I'm pretty sure that's how that call went down. But it, I believe it ended up being a hoax or at least they never followed through on it. It's crazy to me that someone would say like 15 from media PA knowing that Wendy's missing at the same time. Like that's kind of quick to be a hoax. And then on the flip side too, like if you call and you're a runaway, I, like wouldn't you just send someone to where they are? It seems weird too that like she wouldn't call the family, but she somehow had the number for the runaway hotline service that she could call them and say, oh, yeah, I can get to North Philly instead of just calling one of the family members. I mean, she knew her phone number. I would think she at least would be able to call her house or her church or, you know, maybe one of her siblings at school or or something. Because that's not a number that you just have memorized. And we didn't have iPhones to Google you know, phone numbers and call them. So that also seemed really weird to me too, that of all the numbers, that's who you're going to call. She could have seen it on a poster, maybe, especially if she was near like mass transit. But honestly, the whole thing doesn't really sound right. Yeah. And like you said, like it wasn't like you put somebody's phone in your iPhone and you don't remember their actual phone number. I mean, I I still remember all of the phone numbers when I grew up, like my neighbor's phone number and all that. So yeah, I guess it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I just think it's weird that, like, 15 from Media PI, it's pretty specific for it to come across like that the following day. Especially to say media and not Philly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I tell people that I'm from near Harrisburg. Like, I don't people don't know where the town I live in is or the town I grew up like, Oh, I grew up outside of Harrisburg because if I say Perry County, nobody knows what the heck I'm talking about. So I feel like if you're calling somewhere, you could say media, but wouldn't you be more likely to say like, I'm 15 and I'm from the Philly area. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I think I'm going a little too deep into overanalyzing what she said, but (laughs) that's just my thought on that. No, I mean, I say Hershey because everyone knows, like, Hershey chocolate, even though I'm not from Hershey, but it's, like, the close enough reference. Oh, I'm near Hershey. I'm west of Philly. (laughs) true. So, over the next few months, Wendy's dental records were compared to numerous unidentified bodies in hopes that they would match and provide some closure for the family. Her family hired not one, but three private investigators to search for her by tracking down all of the out-of-state leads that they received. Wendy's photo was even featured on milk cartons. Just shy of a year from when they had their, they had their first real break in the case. Around January of 1976, the family received a call from a man saying that they knew where Wendy was and that he'd be willing to tell them for $10,000. The man agreed to accept the money in two payments of $5,000 each, as long as it was in 10s and 20s. Wendy's dad received instructions to leave the cash in a trash can near Chester Park. Police felt that the caller was using Wendy's family to make a quick buck, so they actually only used $1 bills to fill the bag, and an officer hid on the floor of the vehicle when their dad made the drop. Ultimately, and it ended up 
It ended up being a hoax. The 17-year-old boy that picked up the cash was arrested, along with an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. All parties were charged with theft by extortion and criminal conspiracy. They admitted to the family that they had no information about Wendy's whereabouts. I hate this. I hate this so much. Yeah. This episode of Keystone Cold Cases is sponsored in part by Tattered Flag Brewery and Stillworks, a veteran-owned and operated business. Specializing in craft beer, spirits, and food, you can get your fill of Tattered Flag online or go to any of their locations. While they always have a consistent delicious menu, the rotating specials are definitely worth the trip. A favorite spot for this KCC host can become a favorite spot for you. Check out Tattered Flag online or in Middletown, Hershey, Gettysburg, or Lancaster today. Another theory that mostly the family explored was the religious cult theory. So her family considered this possibility that she may have joined a religious cult type organization, and they traveled all over the country searching for answers, specifically a church in Allentown that was known for encouraging young teenagers to run away from home. It was rumored that close to 100 children from various towns across the state were staying there. Were the cops not able to search the church for Wendy? There was no information on whether they specifically searched, like, that church in Allentown, but according to the family, they didn't want the police to scare off any potential witnesses, so they kind of investigated the theory on their own, at least until they found enough evidence to involve police. So, some of the group members were arrested because of their aggressive style of preaching. Specifically, they would block sidewalks and disrupt the public. Police received a tip that some people in the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton area had seen someone matching Wendy's description selling candy door-to-door. A woman that had broken away from the church recognized Wendy's photo and her nickname, Wizzy. Unfortunately, none of of these leads panned out, but it didn't stop her parents from continuing to attend rallies sponsored by cults in hopes of seeing Wendy. To date, no evidence has been established to suggest that this was the cause of Wendy's disappearance. I read that she didn't take anything with her. If she was leaving to join a cult or religious group, don't you think she'd take her Bibles or anything? So, I have a limited knowledge of cults here, more so just from some recent Netflix binging. But typically, they don't want you to bring anything from your old life. The goal through most of these organizations or these cults starts with basically brainwashing you that your old life is horrible and that you need to leave your old life. And that's going to include leaving all of your possessions. So theoretically, and in most cases, it's what we've seen that the cult or the church or the group, whatever you want to call it, will provide someone with all of their essential needs when they get there. So like clothing, bedding, religious items, um, especially if it is a Bible-based cult, because there are so many different translations of the Bible, they want to make sure that you're using the one that they want you to have um, and those sorts of things. So I'm not an expert, but that's kind of my understanding at least. I see. 
So like Sarah said, they they don't want anything from the past in their new life. I actually talked to my kid's behavioral therapist about this because it's kind of interesting to me. But cults often use what's called behavior modification, which is like this thought-stopping techniques to instill this like us versus them mindset, which clearly worked because Charles Manson had his family murder people. So true. It's interesting because that's also how abusive relationships start. Just saying. Very true. Um, But in general, this is an interesting theory for her family to suggest. Um, Did they have any reason to believe she would join a cult? And do we know what the church in Allentown was called? Just that she had a deep interest in religion The church in Allentown was called the Forever Family, and the founder was Stuart Trail, a former vacuum repairman who was expelled from the church he attended. Well, if that doesn't scream cult, I don't know what does. That's a little sketch. Um, The family member that I spoke with did say that, like they mentioned before, she was so innocent, she was naive, she assumed the best in people. And like Amanda said, she really did have that interest in religion. So they think that it's absolutely possible. Um, But personally, I think I would almost prefer that to be the answer, because then there's hope that, you know, she's alive somewhere and living a life and and doing something. But that's just kind of my input on that. Over the years, Wendy's family had contacted the FBI, begging them to get involved with the case. They even went as far as getting a petition signed with over a thousand people in hopes that it would persuade them to get involved. Her sister spent hours standing outside of a bank on a busy street collecting signatures. However, the FBI spokesman stated, quote, FBI does not get involved unless it believes a federal statute has been violated, as in kidnapping or extortion. He goes on to say that the FBI does not give in to political pressure. But how did they rule out that she may have been kidnapped? They didn't, but the FBI wanted evidence that she didn't just run away. And no one had any leads that would make that happen. And there was also no evidence that it crossed state lines, which I've seen them get involved, like, once it crosses state lines. But they don't have evidence in this case. Yeah, and a lot of times it is just that evidence piece that will push it, but they literally had no proof. Nothing was disturbed in her house, like she wasn't kidnapped from the house. You know, there was no proof that she was made to do anything beyond her own will. So that was a big part of it. Um, And it was extremely frustrating for the family, obviously. And the family member I spoke to said that the real gut punch in all of it was, like I mentioned earlier, if it happened today... You'd have Facebook posts, you'd have Amber Alerts, you'd have it on the nightly news, it would be in a bunch of newspapers, Um, you would have stuff going out nonstop in order to get these answers, but of course, that didn't happen in the 70s. It's so true. I think we spoke earlier about how, um, on another case, how they put the pictures on cereal boxes and milk cartons and stuff and how like kids saw them, but adults didn't really see them. So, you know, 
It's interesting mm-hmm. now because if it was on social media, I feel like there'd be such this broad range of people that would see it and pay more attention to it because it's like in your face. Was it the boy in the box that they put the information in the gas bills? Yeah. That was yeah. genius. It is. It is. So after Wendy's parents spent years searching for her, she was declared legally dead by the courts on August 2nd, 1983. Both Wendy's father and sister added their DNA to the national database in hopes that a Jane Doe would be a match. Wendy's sister is actually very fascinated by genealogy and started dabbling in it herself, which I think I've mentioned before. My mom is super into it, and I love to hear the stories about how she tracks down adopted people's real parents. Not always for the greater good, but you know. Wendy's dad was eventually diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and the year prior to his death was the hardest on the family. Her family said that they spent a lot of time with him on the weekends, and every time they would drive by where Wendy was last seen, he would turn to them and say, quote, you know, I never found Wendy. Okay, well now my heart is in shreds. Gosh. It's so sad. Reliving that. I just... I can't imagine that. To have to pass it every day. Right? Oh, my God. Unfortunately, Wendy's parents both passed away, His mom, her mom in 95 and dad in 2007, without ever knowing what happened to their little girl. Several people at the funeral, though, told her siblings, well, now they know. While Wendy's parents may not be able to continue the search for answers, it hasn't stopped her siblings and investigators from looking for the truth. In 1990, state police took another look at the case and even had Frank Bender, an internationally known sculptor, help create what Wendy might look like at age 30. And the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children did another age progression at 60 years old, which will both be up on our website and Instagram pages. To date, there are no new developments in the case. I feel like there is no simple explanation here. Um, I know we've kind of talked about this thought that it could be an abduction while she was walking. Um, I know there weren't any visible or audible signs of distress, but I mean, sometimes things can just happen so quickly that I don't know, maybe it's still possible. And I did also see those age progression photos, and I know we'll have them on the blog online for listeners to see as well. Um, And I feel like she looks like what I expect a Pennsylvanian woman to look like. I mean, um, do we know if there's anything more about her that was unique piercings or scars or anything like that that would kind of help identify her more? She had braces at the time of her disappearance, and she was deaf in her right ear. Okay. Um, Do we know if she had any physical support for her hearing, like AIDS or cochlear implants or anything? So from what I understand, they didn't make hearing aids for teenagers back then, so not that I'm aware of. Okay, gotcha. So that also makes me think, like, did she just not hear, like... Depending on what side of the road. I was thinking that too. Yeah. If that made it, you know, easier for someone to grab her or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. 
So before we go into closing remarks on the case, um, Sarah wanted to relay a message that the family had sent over um, that they wanted everyone to hear. Quoted directly from the family member. um, And I just want to kind of make it known these are their words that were sent to us in an email. Um, They wrote, I just want to take the time to thank so many of you who have reached out to my family over the years. It is still amazing to me that in 45 years, we have never found Wendy. Just so you guys know, her case is still actively being worked on by the PA State Police. Two years ago, with many new technologies and fresh eyes, they started at the bottom again and have reworked, relooked, questioned everything that was done. When my father was quite ill with Alzheimer's, he said to me one day, I never found Wendy. I told him, Dad, you spent your whole life looking, and he did. I miss that she has not been a part of my adult life. I miss playing the guitar and singing with her. We both loved Camp Hidden Falls and Girl Scouts. She was funny and kind. She was my only sister, and I miss her. I know when this happened, it was a shock to the town of media. Many childhoods were shattered. Parents thought of dangers that never before crossed their mind. Hundreds of you helped in searches, brought us food, held us as we cried, and prayed for Wendy and our family. I just want to say thank you for all you have done over the years. Please always keep us in your prayers. As my dad used to say, someone knows what happened to Wendy that day. We just need to find out who that is. If you have information you wish to share with the PA State Police, please contact Andrew Martin via email, amartin at pa.gov. So that's A-M-A-R-T-I-N at pa.gov. Or you can call 215-452. And I realize this says 526 and there's not another number there. So we will get that number updated for the blog um, and have that number there for you. Uh, And then... She added at the end here, I appreciate the work that the Keystone Cold Cases has done and allowing me to be a part of this podcast. And we truly do appreciate that um, family members were willing to step out and talk to us and, and give us this information. So from us to you, a big thank you back to you. The family statement and all of the other information from this episode will be available on our website, kccpod.com. Like Sarah said in the statement, every seven to eight years, police start at the very beginning, scrutinizing over every piece of the case, which they plan to continue to do until they get a resolution. At the time of her disappearance, Wendy was 15 years old. She had brown hair, brown eyes, wore gold-rimmed glasses, had braces, and went by the name Wizzy. She was wearing jean shorts and a yellow sleeveless shirt. She had no scars, but was deaf in her right ear without a hearing aid. Again, if you have any information that would assist in locating Wendy or what happened to her, you can call Trooper Andrew Martin at the Pennsylvania State Police at 215-452-5251. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember to never reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any information. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Amanda. Find all our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Please join us next week for another case to sleuth out.